Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be looking at the scariest things in the Bible. Yeah, we're going to look in Scripture and find some of the most graphic and disturbing parts of the Bible that are terrifying that you probably never heard of. Let's face it, fear of God can be a good thing. So prepare to be afraid. Everybody, we are looking at the scariest things in the Bible. This is pretty cool. I, I learned a little bit yeah. already looking at the show notes. So you know, the Bible encompasses every experience, every type of thing a person can ever imagine to experience in their lifetime. And fear is something that happens to human beings. And sometimes it's the fear of the awe of God. Other times it's things that are just downright creepy. And in the mm-hmm. Bible, there's some things that are just right out of a horror movie with their the way that they describe something, it's terrifying because the reality is is that there are terrifying aspects to life and terrifying aspects to the visible and the things invisible. And we're going to talk about some of those today. Yeah. And, you know, I think what we were saying before, too, just like joking around, but fear of God is just such an incredible gift of the Spirit. It's the seventh gift of the Spirit. And it's really how great God is, you know, his magnitude, magnanimity, like how magnanimous God is. And how little we are, and and that moves us so deeply and profoundly to that to that sense of fear and awe and and fear of the Lord. Um, but the things that we're going to cover in this in this uh, account of frightening things, you know, whether we're touching on Revelation or or something in the Old Testament or the prophets, um, you know, there's certainly things that I've come across where you know the imagery of the of these expressions. Uh, are right there in front of your in front of your mind, and it is it's a, it's a scary sight. Yeah, I mean, if any of these things were seen in a movie, people are like, wow, dude, yeah. remember from that movie that was creepy. And though there's things like that in the Bible, and that's what we're going to go over today. Now, I think the first one to go over, uh, really graphic, really kind of interesting prophecy, and this is coming from the book of Ezekiel, mm-hmm. and this is Ezekiel 37. This is the Valley of the Dry Bones. Now, this one is... I this think most people will recognize kind of this compared oh, yeah. to some of the other stuff that we've got. Yeah, I think they'd recognize it. But then here's here's like a thought exercise I want everyone to do while, while we're reading these verses. Imagine if this was a scene in a TV show. Imagine what this would actually look like from the description. Imagine if this was you know on the big screen and in all of its reality, it was there. Then I think you're going to get the proper context of how terrifying some of these things actually are. This, uh, this one reminds me of uh, Lauren Daigle's Dry Bones, Come Alive, that song, Come Alive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, it, and it's definitely a, a prophecy of uh, the power of God and, and really looking forward to the resurrection of the body. But yeah, something f- very familiar. So this is Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me round among them. And behold, there were very many upon the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, 
and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And as I looked, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great host. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you home into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, says the Lord. Wow. <clears throat> I absolutely love this scripture verse from Ezekiel 37. And, but, you know, it, it makes you think of like a mountain of skeletal bones. Yeah. I Just, mean, that image is you know, striking. And I think it's really interesting that they specifically say dry bones. And why, why they say dry bones is that these are long dead. These are yeah. bones that have been completely decayed. Any amount of flesh is gone from it. Not and, even cartilage. These are dry, dry bones. Yeah, and you look at salvation history and you look at the the Israel uh, Israelites and just the unfaithfulness and then the the uh, diaspora where they're all brought out and I mean they 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 went on some pretty hard times and um, I think a lot a lot of people who were faithful lost their faith mm-hmm. because it was just so much destroyed but there was always this remnant and and I God used these uh, prophets right as part of this remnant so when I look at this I look at in a lot of ways our church mm-hmm. or our culture and that there's these dry bones and that God wants us to be a light to the nations. And and in this particular case, in, in Israel's case, he sent prophets, you know. Um, but I, I do think about these dry bones as like our culture. You yeah, know, you know? I, heard, I heard a while back like Key West being like Bone Island when the Spaniards mm-hmm. first saw that key. And like it was just a huge hill of of bones. Wow. I don't know if you ever heard that. Uh, key West? Yeah, like all the way down in the Keys. And um, <clears throat> so... There were leg bones, arm bones, skull or two found uncovered in plain sight. Um, And the name seemed practical choice for the Spaniards, um, though they didn't understand why there were bones simply cast about the island. Uh, You know, so you imagine the Spaniards coming to, you know, the New World and seeing something like that. This This is an even greater, more alarming Scene. Yeah, I just imagine Ezekiel looking down on this valley and seeing all these bones, and then, but the way they describe the reconstruction of these bodies, reconstituting backwards, the sinew first, then the flesh, and just the, you know, it's very graphic. It's very, you know, it's almost like... (laughs) I don't know, like Game of Thrones, like an army of the dead, like just being constructed. And it's just hundreds of thousands of 
corpses rising and it, it's very uh, visceral, you mm-hmm. know, this this uh, verse and it's it's really striking. And if you th- I mean there's a great um there's a great picture of this done by Gustave Dor. Gustave Dor was an artist and he did a lot of etchings uh I think in the 18th century. Um and Kyle put this image up there, but I think it really catches the kind of drama mm. of of this verse. Here's that here's that image. Check this out, guys. Wow. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> you know, and then you just seen them and the, these bones, they stand up, they start coming together. That's the clanging part. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like kind of rising up. Yeah, and, you can uh, visually see the clanging. Yeah. The thing the thing that I love about this, because that that's this as this image depicts, um, it is, it's a frightening scene. We're talking about things that are frightening in the Bible and, and uh, can, can alarm. Um, this scripture in particular, I would love to have as my funeral, you know, first reading. Um, and it's always consoled me, this, this scripture in particular, because the prophet is drawn up in the spirit and, and he's, he's brought up and then this experience of God showcasing his power to bring what is what is dead to life. Yeah. And the exposure that the prophet must have had to death at, at in his generation his time um and the exposure that I've had to death time and time again um this this has always consoled me. Yeah. I I do I do love this well, I think this if, scene. I think if you look at the ancient world and how they would try to preserve the body, if you look at like just you know across the Sinai in Egypt, how they're preserving the body in the hopes of you know these bodies being taken to the afterworld and whatever, and they want the body yep. to be as pristine as possible. But these are dry bones in a valley, cast aside, not even it can you know intact with each other, just all over, scattered. Yeah. I mean, it shows the hopelessness. Like, yeah. but even but God can even take this hopelessly dry bone, no chance of resuscitation. And bring them back. So, you know, while the imagery is terrifying, I can see how you you see this as, as a very hopeful and just right. kind of a you know this is God flex and say I can do anything. Exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. Now, here's another one that I think would make a great scene in a horror movie, and this is the writing on the wall, right? And we've all heard that term, the writing on the wall. Um, yeah. And this is this is coming from the book of Daniel, right? So uh, this is uh, Belshazzar's Feast. Uh, do you want to read this, Father Rich? Let's have Delacross read this one. <clears throat> I don't know if his eyes can handle it. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver, which Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be bought, brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought into the golden and silver vessels which had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them, and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand, and the king saw his, the hand as it wrote, Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king cried out aloud to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. 
The king said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belstar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. I mean, that's, again, just, you know, these guys had just taken over Jerusalem and they're getting drunk and they're partying and he's got all of his, you know, concubines and they're just doing all sorts of depraved things. And they're like, dude, you know what would be funny? Like, let's let's drink out of all this stuff from the temple that we just took from the from the Jews. And they're pouring wine and drinking, probably doing like lining up seven shots of, you know, Jägermeister out of the menorah, right? They're just partying and they're being, they're defiling this stuff. And then all of a sudden, this hand just shows up on the wall. And I love how it says the king's color, color changed yeah, and his knees changed. knocked. Mm-hmm. His color changed twice. Twice. Because it also changed when he couldn't find somebody to interpret. Yeah, the guy, he went a whiter shade of pale after that, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, just a finger of a man's hand appearing and writing stuff on a wall is kind of creepy. But then not creepy. knowing what it meant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but you know, but you could tell he knew it was not okay. It wasn't like <laughs> yeah. no, it was the finger <laughs> yeah. wasn't right. Like have a great day. Like yeah. you knew something was yeah. not right with yeah. this, right? It wasn't like hey, y'all keep partying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and <clears throat> isn't that true? Like even when we when we personally sin or like we we personally begin to entertain things, it's like imme- it's like immediate. You know, like. That that experience is absolutely frightening, and the way that demons play when you when you you know when you open yourself up to that type of right. defacement of God's uh, you know what Temple. what God holds sacred, um, and what man holds sacred, yeah. Um, but I, and just a disembodied hand just floating, writing. I mean, look if you were in your house, like imagine like a scene in the movie where like you always see like. They'll be like in the shower or something, and then someone will write "get out" on like the mirror in the steam. Right? It's kind of that type of creepy yeah. vibe with this. Mm-hmm. Um, now it goes on later in in Daniel five twenty four, starting there to explain what uh, was actually written, and and the whole story is a really fascinating story about you know it, it has a lot of parallels to me of of Joseph in Egypt. Now you have Daniel, um, you know, being taken by Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar. Um, so do you want to read that or do you want me to read this one? Go for it. So this is Daniel 5.24. This is kind of like the interpretation. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the king, he brought in all his people. No one could read it. He's freaking out. He's, you know, his color's changing. He's went cold plaid, right? <laughs> uh, so this is it. It says, then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is an interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have get, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Ooh-wee. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So, I mean, this That's writing... The weight of that, like, God slamming down, you know, clearly, you know, you've been found wanting. I mean, that that's like a... A gut punch. Yeah, and then it says later, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain, and Darius the the Mede received the kingdom, being about sixty-two years old. Yeah. So that's where the saying, you look, you're seeing the writing, the writing on the wall, because the, the writing on the wall is saying your time is already over. Not it's maybe gonna end, or hey, dude, you're kind of you know here's a speed limit. No, God has 
judged and it is already passed. It's yeah. already done. Yeah. That's the writing on the wall. And mm-hmm. it's a really, um, you know, really fascinating kind of look at, you know, the Jews and the captivity and, and what they were experiencing there and how God was still with them in his power and glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. So this next one that we we're heading to is Genesis 19. So if you're following us in your Bibles, flipped Genesis 19. This is the depravity of Sodom. So the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, turn aside, I pray you, to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the street. But he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out of the door to the men, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he would play the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door. But the men put forth their hands and brought Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the door of the house, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or any one of you have in the city, bring them out of the place? For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, Who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him forth and set him outside the city. And when they had brought them forth, they said, flee for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Flee to the hills, lest you be consumed. And Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot flee to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, yonder city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Make haste, escape there, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. 
And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley, and beheld, and lo, smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. That's apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole scene. I mean, again, you know, I'm going to movies because I think a lot of people have a cultural touchstone to movies. But you think of like these like these post-apocalyptic movies where the whole world is went mad. This feels like Mad Max. Right. Like, look. They're just people of one crazy. Oh, you got people and they bring them out. We're going to do stuff to them. Right. And no, take my daughters. And like, he's like, oh, the world's going to end. And and the sons-in-law think he's joking. And, you know, they got angels and they're fleeing to this little city. I mean, it is just, it's just a really dramatic. I mean, it's an end of the world scene for these people. I mean, brimstone, fire, these cities still are, have not been found. I mean, and archaeologists are searching for these cities, you know, around the Dead Sea area, and they found some evidence of cities that are completely obliterated. And and like deposits of sulfur yeah. that are in the in the ground, and you just see just this most arid place um, in and around the Dead Sea. You could just see how much destruction. Yeah, I, like, and I've seen the, these archaeologists try to explain it away. They're like. Well, we think maybe a meteorite exploded like a Tunguska type thing. Yeah. Like, like no, it, was, it had to be a meteorite exploded and destroyed these cities. And they were just, you know, and they always try to explain it away with something like that. But like, look, these cities are leveled sulfur, brimstone. You know, and if God used a meteorite to destroy them, then that's what he did. But the 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 frantic nature that the having to get out angels coming and people beating down your door it's like the end of the world it's mm-hmm. really creepy mm-hmm. putting yourself in that just imagining like the whole world's went nuts the whole world's crazy and you got to get out mm-hmm. and the angels are going to destroy i mean it's dramatic it is it is now right, now here's another and i think this one you know the context we're not going to get into it around it but just the language used here is just I mean, this is right out of out of you know Stephen King or whatever. It's a terrifying way mm. to put it. So this is coming from Zechariah 14, and this starts at verse 12. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will smite all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall rot while they are still on their feet. Their eyes shall rot in their sockets, and their tongues shall rot in their mouths. Mm. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will lay hold hand of the fellow and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight against Jerusalem and the wealth of all nations round shall be collected gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And the plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the asses, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. You know, the great panic of the Lord will fall on them and their eyes will rot out of their heads. It's terrifying. And, and, you know, when you, when you pair this with the plagues of the Old Testament, when you pair this with Abraham and what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah, and you see the consequences scripturally for immorality, and you see the consequences of when, you know, hands are turned against God, turned against Jerusalem, turned against his, uh, you know, his solemn nation. Like, it's, it is, it's absolutely alarming, and... You know, the remnants of this can be seen. Yeah. You know? I yeah. can't help but think that, uh, 
you know, this inspired the Nazis face melting in, in Indiana Jones. I was Jones. just about to say that. You know, I mean, this, I mean, if you're trying to look for a, a visual of that, just think of the Nazis getting their faces melted when they open the Ark. You know, uh, their flesh will rot while they're still on their feet. Their eyes will rot out of their sockets. Well, I just watched the, yeah. the most recent season of Stranger Things, and, like, that's where my mind went was I haven't just, seen it. Yeah. To I canceled Netflix. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. And and I'm telling you, it's uh, it's exactly that. I mean, this is what horror films are are made of, yeah. and uh, and thrillers, um, right. but you know the the destructibility of our of our flesh and the consequences of our sins is uh, is definitely coming full focus, and it should get our attention. Yeah. Now, going from kind of, I think those are more those are like horror, psychological horror type verses. Uh, the ones here. The next one is more of a it's a it's a reality that a lot of people in this world have faced. And throughout the history, a lot of mothers have experienced this. And it's a horror of a deeper level, and I would say even of a more disturbing level than kind of the the graphic gore of your eyes rotting out of your head. And that, that's the massacre of the infants, right? Um so we all know this story, but you know, thinking about it, um it, and really understanding like how you would feel in that instant. That is the same thing that people who are facing genocide in this world now are facing. So the, these kinds of horrors that are happening in the Bible are still happening in this world today. So if, maybe that'll move your heart towards helping some of these people in these areas that are victims of genocide. But uh, this is from Matthew 2. Then Herod, when he had saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. Could you imagine the communal lamentation, this, this, you know, this voice... This this communal crying out uh, in the city, the the ache of, of killing two year olds, I mean, all like of them, just, uh, killing babies. Mm -hmm. That is so wicked. Mm -hmm. And the thing that really makes this horrible to me is that it happens today in two ways. Number one, in the war torn areas and genocides, but also in what we see, you know, in in abortion. I mean, it's the parallels between you know abortion these 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 innocents. You know, and that's why I, it's a great thing to pray, you know, on the Feast of the Holy Innocents <clears throat> for the unborn because they're experiencing a genocide in the womb as mm -hmm. well. Um, but the, the trauma these mothers felt, I mean, two-year-olds getting murdered by soldiers, like, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that's what the same thing that, you know, people felt with, with the Nazis or the Ugiars in China. Or, or, or just most recently in Nigeria, yeah. you know, the bishop in his response when he was being interviewed, you know, on after Pentecost Sunday and that massacre, you could just see in his eyes and, and his response that he's a father and, you know, his children were massacred and there were literally children in their midst that were, that were killed Yeah, on Pentecost Sunday morning. Like, yeah, it's, it's, hor it's horrific and it's horrible. And these evils are, these evils are present in the world and, and we should have eyes for them. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, if 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 you're hearing this, maybe consider what you can do to help because this there are areas where this is happening, 
and there is that that wailing and loud lamentation and it's happening not just in Ramah, mm -hmm. but it's happening throughout the world. So, you know, pay attention for it for when you hear it, right? Um, now, this one, this, this is a really, again, I don't think I've ever really seen this done in a, in a movie about the life of Christ. And this is the, the exorcism of the demoniac. It's a really vivid scene. I mean, it's got some, like, really, I think, creepy horror elements. It's got graveyards and pigs and exorcisms and just... You know, just a really graphic scene. Do you want to read that for us? Sure. Uh, so this is Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demoniacs met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many swine was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the swine, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything and what had happened to the demoniacs. Hmm. Yeah, and then they kicked Jesus out of the town, right, or something like that? They just told him to leave, right? Yeah, well, I mean, this shows, number one, that Christ was the greatest exorcist. But mm -hmm. you had these possessed men who are hanging out in the tombs, right? I mean, they're, like, just ghoulish yeah, coming out of the tombs, and they were so strong. I love that, that detail. They were so strong that no People one could pass by yeah. them. Mm -hmm. So these are very powerful demons, and... It just you just imagine this dusty desert mm -hmm. and these tombs and these possessed, incredibly powerful things, and then there's a herd of pigs and mm -hmm. and the connotation of pigs, uh, of swine in the Bible. Oh man, it's just really, it's a really vivid scene that that makes you just kind of. Um, number one, it's a testament to Christ's power, and that they're like, "What are you doing? You're going to torment us." Now, in the, um, in the version in Mark, I, I love that Christ asks, what is your name? And they say, we are legion, for we are many. Mm -hmm. That's a terrifying detail. We are you, legion. When you think of many demons and, and what demons center around and the consequences of sin, you know, so demonic influence moves us to sin. The consequences of sin is death. And, and demons want to see the, the stripping of life and defacing beauty, defacing life and, and uh, eliminating life, you know, whether it's in the womb or uh, and but something that, that comes crystal clear in all of this is, you know, our actions, there are consequences. Sodom and Gomorrah is a perfect example of that. But it's important to realize, too, that God does not rejoice in death, as Ezekiel 33 expresses, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live, turn and turn from your evil ways. You know, God, God does not take pleasure in, in death. He doesn't take pleasure in the consequences of sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also says in scripture, I think it was Paul, one of Paul's epistles that, um, 
God allowing and permitting all of this is for the, the patience that he has for us is, is aimed at our own salvation. Mm-hmm. So allowing this to happen, allowing, you know, this, these types of things to happen and, and part of it is his patience for us to be with him forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now this, this is kind of the aftermath and this is from Mark's gospel. Uh, this is started Mark uh, five fourteen. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and also to the pigs, and the people began to beg Jesus to leave their region. This is what you're talking about, Ryan. And he, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus would not allow him. Go home to your own people, he said. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. So the man went away and began to proclaim throughout the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Mm. Imagine just the most terrifying human that you've ever seen. So terrifying that people, he's living and slinking through the tombs. And his name is Legion because there's so many demons and there's pigs and just, yeah. And then all of a sudden... He's healed, and they see him in his right mind, and everyone's like, "Dude, I don't even want to deal with this." They're telling, "They're please go away. Don't, don't shine this light on us because it's making us stand self-accused." And then this guy wants to become an apostle and follow Jesus, but he becomes a, an evangelist to the Decapolis. I mean, I've never really considered that last part of it. What happened to the demoniac? Um, wow, mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of these people he uh, went and spoke to, you know, probably knew he was possessed and knew that there was an ailment there, and probably in a lot of cases tried to fight for him with, you know, the um, you know the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they they're like, hey, how can we help help Mm -hmm. this person? And and I do like go home to your go home to your people. Yeah. So what you're saying is like, go home to people who are familiar with you know, who you have been and, and, and what has been caused through this possession mm-hmm. yeah. in and around your town and your people and give testimony, you know, and, and it's what you mentioned as we started, this is this showcases Jesus and his power to exercise, mm-hmm. you know, and it also manifests very clearly, um, you know, the, the, the spiritual realm of the invisible that there is demonic influence there is legion and there there is manifest evil yeah and you know what else is terrifying not having the app hollow on your phone that's a terrifying prospect because that's the number one catholic app for prayers and if you have all of these other apps (laughs) on your phone you know that you just spend all of this time wasting away that's right you know uh, Hollow is the number one Catholic app for a reason. They've got over 5,000 guided prayers and meditations. They're adding new features all the time. They have prayers led by Bishop Barron and, and, and uh, Mark Wahlberg and Father Mike Schmitz, which Jonathan should terrify Rumi. you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Rumi, uh, Sister Miriam James, so many people. you know, And you can see that all of these really uh, prominent Catholics are, are taking part in it because it really is something unique as far as technology and how it's able to help us uh, you know, pray in a new and unique way. Ryan, I know you use this app all the time. Yep. <laughs> Great commentary, Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I use uh, I use the app a lot with my um, family uh, and and just for personal prayer. Lexio Divino is the best 
the best prayer for me because I could sit down and it's guided and somebody's walking me through, you know, the, the, the way that you're meditating and growing close to God. And I, I like it because it's like, talk to God. Mm-hmm. You got, you know, five, 10, however many minutes you talk to God, you just kind of share your heart with him. A lot of times we think prayers, you know, some sort of elevated mystical, thing and it's just simply taking time and and allowing the holy spirit to be with you in a room or you know in your car or whatever and and just sharing your heart with Christ because he already knows your heart and so just having that relationship from you know it's a, it's a, a tough journey from the mind to the heart you know and and the app has really helped me by telling me where to go in my mind to make that connection with mm-hmm. my heart. He's got such a healthy perspective on prayer. It's enviable. It's, you know, the the directed, like a directed retreat or, or having a spiritual director. A lot of a lot of people don't have the ability to have a spiritual director, not have the ability to go on retreat. Um, you know, this gives you a retreat in an app. Yeah. And, and if you have five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, you know, you can spend months and years on this app because of the content that they have on there. And you're constantly refreshing and growing deeper in your spiritual life. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're adding a lot of new cool things, too. So they have all the guided prayers, but they have they have litanies, they have novenas, they have chant, they have Catholic lo-fi with Matt Frad, which is kind of like... You know, just you, you know what lo-fi stuff. is. I listen to that stuff. stuff all the time. Um, they're also doing some new things like uh, weekly mass prep for kids, right? Yeah. So you can play this this app and play it for your kids instead of them watching another dumb YouTube channel or whatever. You know, th- this helps them prepare for mass that week. Um, they're doing things with uh, parables. They have sleep aid, right? So stories to help you fall asleep. Go to Catholic. I'm sorry. Go to hollow.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show, and you can try the app for free. Um, and if you want to get the premium subscription, it costs less than a cup of coffee a month, right? And for the cup, the cost of a cup of coffee for the assets that this brings, it is 100% worth it. And that's why we're so proud to work with Hollow, and we have been for going on two years now. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really very proud of yeah. what they're doing. And and it's you know being a part of Catholic culture is is being a part of of groups just like Hallow who are really celebrating in a top form of technology and and uh and marketing like they they really know how to package and deliver catholic content through the history of the church That's right. to the now. Now, another great app and another person or another group I wanted to make sure we mention is Exodus 90. Uh Exodus 90 is an absolutely great app for men looking to reorient their lives towards Christ. Let's face it, we all need to break away and have time to just renew ourselves and renew our commitment to the Lord and just ascetically strip ourselves and all of the things that we imbibe in and, you know, enter into a period of time of taking some cold showers and limiting your entertainment you know, and, and spending some time in prayer and fraternity. I know Delacross, you know, you've done this Exodus 90 program. What was it like for you? Yeah, I, I love Exodus 90. I mean, I, I spent some time with uh, James, the guy that founded this um, at a saint conference, and I heard the story of how it was created. I mean, just an amazing person. Um, yeah, because wasn't it like it was out of the seminary? Right. It was It was in the seminary. So I related a lot to, yeah. to the practice, right? Like I remember you know, being in the seminary and doing, uh, you know, different consecrations and mm-hmm. things with other brothers, you know? 
So like the devotions during Lent because you're together and you're going through day to day. Right, and we'd all meet in the chapel and yeah. pray together. Those are uh, great memories. I think I think what he's done to you know because that's the seminary experience. What he's done to take that out into the world. That's a great point. And create fraternity within mm-hmm. that, and just the benefits from. I mean, we talked about this on other episodes, the humility of stepping away from those things that distract us uh, and and getting rid of them with your brothers and allowing this humility of, of you relying completely on God to really have this synapsis in your soul mm-hmm. um, to draw you closer to God. I mean, th- I think it's very important, especially now we have more than more distractions than we know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, they're, they're way beyond what, what they used to be. Um, and so, you know, I mean like 99% of the men, you know, came back and said that they, you know, had no, no attachments to things anymore. You yeah. Know, they, did this, like, they did this really cool study. So there's been tens of thousands of men who have went through an exodus using this app and some of the findings that men's re- that men reported, like you said, 99% of men reported freedom from attachments. Men saved on average, $100 per month by living more austere lives right. and not spending on non-essential purchases. Um, so if you're trying to save some money, man, get some Exodus 90. Great, this thing life. pays for itself, bro. <laughs> um, men said that they actually doubled their time in silent prayer. They experienced greater peace and joy. Yeah. They felt closer to their families, wives, and children. They grew in the virtues of chastity and sobriety. They wasted less time on screens. They were three times more satisfied with their faith life, and they were more likely to donate and volunteer to parish. And something that I didn't hear, but I know for a fact, like, a number of the brothers that did it here lost a ton of weight. Yeah. Father Tedlow lost 20 pounds. Wow. Really? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, one of the, I mean, it encourages, you know, you know, an asceticism and a mastery over yourself. And that's one of the best things that men can do in this world today, especially with the particular challenges of modernity. So if you go to exodus90.com forward slash the Catholic talk show, we have a link here that you can see. You can download the app and get started. This app is changing the lives of men all around. And look, the world, like we said in this episode, it can be a really frightening place, especially when, you know, you're letting your repetitive nature and the temptations of, honestly, dark forces lead you to a place where you are not the man God wanted you to be. Apps like Exodus and Hollow really are great resources to help you reorient yourself towards Christ. And that's why we're proud to work with them. So, you know... This I, this was a fun episode, and there's a lot more things in the Bible that are terrifying. Um, but also, if you think about it, you know they're terrifying because they shine a light on ourselves. It's probably more scary where we have self awareness of our own sinful nature than all the demons of the world having to stand against us. Mm-hmm. I think that's a more terrifying thing, and that's the proper fear of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, over 365 times, it says in the Bible, the derivative of don't be afraid. You know, even though there are some of these frightening things, living in faith and responding appropriately to, with the fear of the Lord in your heart and, and being governed by him and what he commands, you know, we step out fearlessly into a world that is dark, that mm-hmm. there are demons, there are uh, manifestations of evil, but we are, we are people that are unafraid to go out. So I leave you with the words of St. John Paul II, and, and these are just such encouraging words, and, and they always speak to me, and I hope that they speak to you. Do not be satisfied with mediocrity. Do not be afraid to be holy. And that's why we we want to share these incredible relationships that we have with Exodus 90 and Hallow and, and all of the relationships that we have with people coming on the show. Um, 
have the courage and humility to present yourselves to the world determined to be holy, since full, true freedom is born from holiness. This aspiration will help you discover genuine love, untainted by selfish and alienated permissiveness. So my friends, as we journey into this next week, we hope that you journey fearlessly and to be bold, to be holy and pursue the virtues that God calls you to. It's always a wonderful ple- pleasure to be with you each and every week here at the talk show. Don't be show. afraid to hit subscribe. Don't be afraid to subscribe, go catholictalkshow.com slash Patreon. Do it. Do it. Do Don't it. be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Peace. God bless. We'll see you next week.